Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tom Kang. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. something else or what. But you know something? Now that the old is gone and the new has come, everyone, I know that you already did this, but just do it again. Let's turn to a neighbor and say, Happy New Year. Turn to three or four people around you. (laughs) So good. So awesome. Well, you know what? After spending some quality time away with family and friends during Christmas and New Year's Eve, all that stuff, nothing beats coming back to Liquid Church and spending a worship service with each of you. And for those of you, maybe today's your first day here at church, maybe today's your first day here at Morristown, or you're watching online, maybe you went to one of our other campuses in Nutley or New Brunswick, we want to welcome you guys. You took a risk. You said, you know what, I'm going to give church a try, and we think that is
is awesome. Welcome to Liquid Church. My name is Tom. I'm one of the pastors here at Liquid Church. And the video that you just saw was Google's 2012 Zeitgeist. Have you heard of these, right? It's a video that Google does every single year. They sort of pump out this video at the end of each year, and it captures some of the iconic cultural and intellectual and political highlights of the year, right? And it's pretty well done. I, I, I love it. I love seeing that. I wait for it at the end of every year. Now, although I think they do an incredible job with an impossible task. I mean, think about trying to do this. Think about trying to find the spirit of the age, so to speak, the spirit of the year, and then just, just compacting that into, into like 200 seconds or less and communicating that eloquently. That is an impossible task. I think that it's, it's amazing what they do. But the interesting thing is, as you watch it year after year after year, the video seems sort of, well, sort of the same, actually. Uh, this is what I mean, okay? Now, what I mean is, if you compare the 2012 zeitgeist that you just saw with the zeitgeist from previous years, like 2011, 2010, 2009, uh, you would notice a few things. Number one, okay, this always happens. You can always count on this. There's always a one-hit wonder, right? Like in 2011, right, it, it, that was the year of Rebecca Black, right, Friday. And in 2012, this was the year of me. Uh, number two, right? There, there's always a global sporting event, right? That was a little bit funnier than I thought it was going to be. Anyways, there's always a sporting event, right? In 2012, you had the Summer Olympics in London, so beautiful. And back in 2010, if you can remember, it was the World Cup. Uh, you always have like a tragic loss of an icon, right? If not Whitney Houston in 2012. Then in 2011, it's Steve Jobs, right? And the fourth thing is, there always seems to be more and more now some kind of natural disaster. Do you remember in 2010 when it was the Haitian earthquakes? And then in 2011, it was the tsunamis in Japan? And then, of course, no one forgets 2012, the Superstorm Sandy, right? And so it, it starts getting you to wonder, what will take those places? What will fill those spots in 2013? Do you know something? Long before Google started sort of video documenting these historical events, the Old Testament introduced us to the wisest man who ever walked this earth. His name was King Solomon. In fact, would everyone, would you go ahead and turn in your Bibles right now to a book that he wrote? It's called Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. It's found on page 464 in your Bibles. I'm going to turn there as well. And notice, okay, what King Solomon had to say about time and about the cycle uh, of passing from one year to the next. This was the wisest man who ever lived. This is what he said. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Verse 5. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes. Where it stops, nobody knows, right? Ever returning on its course. In other words, life is just like this big circle. You're just constantly doing laps over and over again. Verse 7. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. And watch how he concludes, okay? This is what he says in verse 9. What has been will be again. What has been done 
will be done again. And then let's read this together. Let's read this conclusion here in one voice. There is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. Right? I'm guessing that that is probably not a verse that you quoted on those fancy Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's postcards you sent, right? With your beautiful family picture on it, right? Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. I didn't see that quote on any of your cards, okay? Yet this is the wisest man on earth. This is the wisest man on earth. King Saul, that's what he said. So what's he trying to tell us? I mean, is he honestly saying that there's nothing to break the monotony the mundaneness of everyday life. I just, you know, life is just, I sleep, eat, go to work. 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 That's all it is? I mean, is King Solomon saying that life is like that movie Groundhog Day? <laughs> right? We're just everything, same old, same old, year after year after year. In other words, is there anything about 2013 that can actually be different from years past? Does God have anything new, anything different for me this year, this year of my life? Is there any hope for change? Or is there really, as King Solomon put it, nothing, nothing new under the sun? Do you know what? Call me crazy. But I, that's just not the kind of message I think that a perfect heavenly father would have for his children. And, and honestly speaking now, it's certainly not the kind of message I know for a fact many of you could stomach right now. Because the truth is, we all need something new. We could all use a little bit more hope. We could all use a little bit of new somewhere in our lives, whether it's a new hope a fresh a faith, a, a clean slate. In fact, you guys do this? I, I, this past week, I was on Facebook, right? And, and you see this, right? If you were on Facebook this first week of the new year, then you notice that all of these people, there's so many people that are yearning for something new in 2013. Like my one friend had on his status, he wrote this, 2012, get thee behind me. <laughs> Here's to a brand new year and clean slate. Amen. Right? Uh, another friend of mine wrote, praying this is the year I break my addictions. There, I said it. Huh. And still a third. This one totally just ripped out my heart. Uh, there, there was this friend of mine who shared about her beautiful 18-month-old niece suffering from ED. It's like this rare sort of extremely painful genetic disorder where, where the skin starts blistering up and, and it peels away. This is what my friend wrote as her status. Sleep will not come. Just heartbreaking tears over something I will never even pretend to understand. Please pray for my family, for my sweet niece, Ava for peace, for understanding, for healing. For comfort. For rest. For so much that is beyond what we have in our vastness and darkness. 
perfect, heavenly, loving Father does not want something new for Abel in that family. But you see, if King Solomon were right, my friends are in for a lot of disappointment this year. And so am I. And so are you. So surely, surely there's got to be room for change. There's some sort of hope that God has something new in store for Ava and my friends and for you. Something new in store for us this brand new year. And for that, I want to turn things over for a few minutes to Erwin McManus. Erwin serves as a pastor out in Mosaic Church in Los Angeles. Uh, Some of you know, and maybe you've read, uh, he's the author of Soul Craving. This is a book about how our need for intimacy and meaning ultimately proves the existence of God. That's what he wrote about. But here's the thing. I want to share his teaching from Ecclesiastes, from this book that we just opened, because I think Erwin helps point the way towards hope in the new year. Solomon who said there's nothing new under the sun what has been has been before what has been done has been done before he painted a picture of a universe of endless repetition of a life that's trapped in an endless cycle of the mundane the monotonous the meaningless in fact in Ecclesiastes he begins by by telling us that everything is meaningless that life is meaningless that love is meaningless, that, that hope is meaningless, that all human existence is nothing but meaningless. I understood exactly what he meant. I remember when I was 12 years old and my mom and stepdad came to me and told me that they wanted to send me to a psychiatrist and I just started screaming, I, I'm not crazy, I'm not crazy, I, I'm not crazy. And, and they, they panicked and started telling me I didn't have to go. And then I had this moment of self-awareness and I realized I looked absolutely crazy. So I stopped, I went back and, and I said, you know, if I've lost my mind, I, I need to know. And so I was uh, an early achiever in, in uh, neurosis. I started going through therapy and trying to understand why I was so broken inside. I remember for years I had nightmares after nightmares after nightmares. In fact, I, I was afraid to go to bed at night and I would stay awake all night and then could hardly get out of bed in the morning. And I had no reason to wake up, no, no, no reason to, to live. And I felt so empty inside. I felt as if there was this black hole inside of me expanding and expanding, growing, taking me over. And I felt as if I could hardly breathe. I was being suffocated by despair. I have a a scar across my stomach where they opened me up and they described it as exploratory surgery because they had no idea what was wrong with me. All I knew, I was sick. And the problem, of course, was that there was nothing wrong with my body. It was my my soul that was sick. It was 
the deepest part of me that was broken. There was something inside of me that had become fragmented. And, and I understand what Solomon was saying. But it began to gnaw at me when I would hear this phrase, there's nothing new under the sun, there's nothing new under the sun. But I didn't hear it as a statement of despair. I, I kept hearing people say as if they were so glad that there was nothing new under the sun. And, and, and when I discovered faith and the world began to look differently to me and I began to think about the possibility that there was hope and meaning and that there was this creative process that we're supposed to be a part of and it began to awaken something inside of me and where once it might have given me comfort in my despair. Now something inside of me said, this just can't be right. I know Solomon is supposed to be the wisest man who ever lived, but somehow I was certain that Solomon was wrong. For the first 20 years of my life, what Solomon was saying, that life was just meaningless, that resonated with the voice inside of me that I heard over and over and over again. And in fact, if you read his words in the book of Ecclesiastes, he just keeps saying, it, it's all empty. We all come from dust. We return to dust. There is no meaning in our work. There's no meaning in our love. There's no meaning in our lives. And all of a sudden I knew what Solomon was saying was that life without God loses its deepest meaning, that we were created for more than this, that we're supposed to be more than just flesh and blood. We're supposed to do more than just wake up and go to work and go to sleep. We're supposed to do more than just survive, that we're supposed to live our lives fully alive. And the only way we can do that is when we find our meaning in the God who created us in his image and likeness. All of a sudden, the world began to look differently. All of a sudden, everything that was black and white, everything that seemed to be barren and empty was filled with life and opportunity and possibility. The problem, of course, is that sometimes we don't have the eyes to see it. Solomon was describing what was the conflict inside of the human experience, that we are both dust and breath, that we are both flesh and spirit, that we are like the gazelle and the tiger, the lion, the elephant, and yet we are more than that. We can also be more accurately described as being created in the image and likeness of God. And inside of all of us, we we have a sense that there's a temporary nature to life, that we began from dust and we end in dust, and yet that there's something more, something transcendent, something eternal in us. There's that, that life in us that somehow we know is to connect to something more profound and deeper than anything we can touch or feel or smell. I love in the scriptures how it says that after six days, God rested from his work of creating. I love that God's job was to be a creator, that God in his essence is an artisan. And what he created was the universe all around us. What he created was the beauty and majesty of this earth, this planet, this solar system, this galaxy, this ever-expanding, unexplainable, mysterious universe. And one of the unique features of 
this planet, of this planet Earth, is that God created it to produce life. That every aspect of this Earth is a picture of God's creative essence. That every creative act produces life. From the soil that produces the, the grass and the wheat and, and the fruit and the vegetables that, that we eat to a planet whose water replenishes itself and quenches our thirst to an atmosphere that somehow fills our lungs with exactly what we need to breathe deeply and live to a solar system that's designed so perfectly that the earth is not too close to the sun where we're consumed or too far where we're frozen to death. Everything God created this earth for was for life. When we live our lives outside of God, we find ourselves trapped in the created order. But when we live our lives inside of God, we find ourselves alive as a part of the creative order. When we're a part of the created order, we begin to experience what Solomon is talking about, how everything is this endless cycle. It's this vicious system that we cannot escape and we find ourselves trapped in the mundane and the monotony of life. But when we become a part of the creative order, when we become alive in God, we begin to realize that our imagination is the playground of God where we begin to see a future that can be created in partnership with him. Remember Solomon said that there was nothing new under the sun? Well, Isaiah disagrees. In Isaiah 43, he says, put away the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, but will you even be aware of it? For a long time, I felt obligated to agree with Solomon, but then I began realizing that this was Solomon's worst moment. That if you listen to the narrative of the scriptures, if you listen to the voice of God, what he's saying is look around. The new is everywhere. Behold, open your eyes. I am doing a new thing. He tells us there's a, a new song, a new earth, a new heaven, a new covenant, that there is new wine, that there is new life, that we are a new creation. Solomon couldn't have been more wrong. Not only was he absolutely emphatically, adamantly wrong, that there's nothing new under the sun, but every time the sun comes up, it is a promise that his mercies, his compassion, his loving kindness, his imagination, his creativity is waiting to bring the new. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. See, guys, I just love, I love the way McManus contrasted those two passages. One from Solomon and one from Isaiah. Isn't that so interesting? I know some of you, you were getting nervous. You started shaking. You started, oh, when he, when he said that, you know, I think Solomon was wrong. You got a little nervous there. But you know what? In the context of what he's saying, McManus couldn't be more right. Because you have to understand, Solomon was a king. He was a king who battled the three-headed monster. 
I'm talking about gold, glory, and girls. Yeah, you see, one of the reasons King Solomon says meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless, is because he was the richest man alive. Yet he couldn't find happiness there. As a matter of fact, later on, years later in the Gospels, Jesus said this about Solomon. He said, he said to everyone, he said, see how the lilies grow? Look at them. I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. See, guys, no amount of money, no big amount of your, your, your fat, you know, a bank account, checkbooks, whatever, all that gold, no amount can ultimately satisfy. The same is true of glory. Did you know that Solomon was king of Israel during his golden years? For 40 years, he was like their best, most prosperous, most glorious king. It was King Solomon, not King David, but King Solomon was the one that built the temple for God. He also built and constructed all of these buildings, adding to his legacy and to his fame. But you know what? It was all for nothing. And then finally, the girls. There were a lot of girls, more than Wilt Chamberlain, okay? To be exact, Scripture actually says Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines. Is there any wonder why he said meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless? It's crazy, right? Now, just contrast that, as, as McManus did, with Isaiah, who wasn't a king, but he was a prophet. He literally spoke the words of God to the people of God. See, in a very real way, Solomon represents man's views, the way that people see things. It, it represented as a sort of cynical, world-weary view. He'd seen it all. He'd done it all. And he finally concluded, meaningless. It's just meaningless. Meanwhile, Isaiah represents the Heavenly Father's point of view. And when the Heavenly Father sees things, everything is brand new. He can make it brand new. God says, see, I am doing a what? Can anybody read? I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. So guys, I just need to stop here for a second. I need to ask each of you, when you look at this new year, do you see things from Solomon's perspective or from the perspective of Isaiah? See, because one is this sort of, you know, cynical view that says, ah, you know, it's just the same old, same old, just everything just going around and around and around in circles. There's no real significance. But God's view is that every single day, there's a new hope. There's a new mercy. There's a new opportunity for some change and for something better. See, so, so my friend who wants to break his addictions, as you saw in that Facebook status, he's got a new chance. Uh, my other friend who says, you know, I need a clean slate. I need a fresh start. Here it is. And for Ava Rose and for her family, this is the year that God's going to bring healing. And even if he doesn't, there is still meaning and purpose 
in this new day that he has given to her as a gift. See, guys, it's the difference between seeing the world in high-definition color versus black and white. And not only that, but did you notice that Isaiah, not Solomon, but Isaiah the prophet, he actually guarantees a way for every single person in this room, everyone watching online and listening to the podcast, he guarantees a way for you to always have hope. Did you know this? Isaiah literally guarantees a way for everyone to have hope. In fact, if, if you were to take the same book, Isaiah, and skip over a few chapters to Isaiah 55, look at what the prophet says there. This is what Isaiah, that same prophet says. He says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. Let's read this last part together. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Guys, do you understand? What you're holding in your hands right now, this very second, this is like the secret formula to life, to a life of meaning. A life of significance, a life of pur- purpose, the, the source of hope. That's exactly what the Word of God is. See, friends, you need to understand, this is the seed that God plants inside of your heart. And it is guaranteed, it is guaranteed to work. Because God says, it will not return to me empty. I don't do bad work. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I've sent it. In other words, you may look back at 2012 or even years previous, and you may look back at those years and be like, you know what, oh, such a waste. It was so meaningless. I didn't grow spiritually or anything like that, but you know something? (laughs) Just because you don't see it sometimes doesn't mean that God isn't at work. I mean, for heaven's sakes, you're here today, aren't you? You're here right now, aren't you? You're hearing the Word of God right now. Even if it's little bit by little bit, everyday incremental growth, God is the one who will make it grow. And here's the promise that Isaiah says. He says that if you plant God's Word right here in your heart in 2013, God guarantees He will grow you. He will grow your hope. He will grow your purpose. He will grow your meaning. He will grow your satisfaction in life and in Him. It is guaranteed. Guys, that is why I could not be more excited about next week's brand new series called 40. Now, I know some of you have been asking, what is the deal with 40? What's so significant about that? I don't understand. What is the series? I know Pastor Mike just turned 40. Is that what it's about? No, guys. No. He's going to kill me for that. Anyways, not exactly, okay? 40 days, 40 nights, 40 years. You see, throughout the Scriptures, the number 40 has always had great significance, especially when it's been talking about preparing the people of God for a work of God. And see, next week, 
Pastor Tim will be leading our entire church through a 40-day Bible challenge that where for 40 days, our church, everyone here, we're going to be reading through the entire New Testament together as one church, expecting to encounter Christ, encountering Jesus in a new way, a fresh way to hear God's voice and experience a powerful movement of the Spirit in our lives. Now, I get it. Some of you are like, Pastor Tom, I've been there. Okay, I've done that. There was one year I even went to the Christian bookstore and I bought a, a Bible in one year. I bought a special edition. Read this Bible in one year. It was a special edition devotion Bible. And like, I think I gave up somewhere around March. I think it was in the book of Ecclesiastes, actually. Meaningless. I, I, I get it. I get it. All right. But guys, what does God's word say? Forget the former Things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a what? A new thing. Exactly. And you know something? I don't think this is going to be a game-changing series. I think it's going to be a life-changing one. Amen? The reason I think it's going to be a life-changing one is this. I know for a fact that there are people here right now within the sound of my voice you are looking back at 2012. You are looking back, just like my friend did, and you're saying, get thee behind me. Man, that was such a waste. It is all me. I hope 2013 is something better. But folks, here's the deal. It's not in finding a new wardrobe. It's not in getting a pay raise. It's not in finding someone new. No, it's instead about you planting the Word of God right here, right here in your heart, and believing that God will cause it to grow. You know something? It's not just about you. It's not just about you either. I mean, isn't there someone, can't you think of someone in your life right now, someone who's caught in, in what I'm going to call the Solomon cycle, okay? Just everything's the same old, same old. Year after year, nothing ever changes. Guys, this is going to be a life-changing series, and I would encourage, I'm pleading with you, invite them. Invite them. Because you know what? I was talking to Pastor Tim this past week, and he is so amped to start this series. I haven't seen him like this in a while. He is just pumped. And you know how he gets when he's really excited. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like a kid in a candy store. It's awesome. But here's the deal. I totally get it. I understand his heart. You know why he's so pumped? You know why he's so excited? Because he knows that God is going to do something new in your life, in the life of this church. It's because God's going to change our entire church together through this. God wants to do something new. We are preparing for a moment and a movement of God. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now. Now. It springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Folks, if 2012 was the wasteland for you, please do not waste this opportunity. 
God is going to move in this place. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just I want to thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your goodness. I pray right now for Ava Rose and her whole family. God, Ava needs something new. She needs something new this year. She needs your healing. She needs the your love to be the balm of her body. Her family needs something new this year. And Father, little baby Ava, she is a representation of so many new things that every man, woman, and child in this ballroom feels and brings to the table today. We all need something new. And God, we want your spirit to plant your word in our lives, in our heart, and cause it to grow. Father, if we do not perceive something new because of our cynicism, because of our hurt, because of our callous, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would give us the eyes to see afresh that you would give us the eyes to perceive like new what you are doing for us this year. We love you so much. We want to fall more in love with you in 2013. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com. Or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.